Here's your host, Alex Garrett. Welcome inside to Alex Garrett Podcasting, and I have a very special guest on my line. He is the grandson of uh, Howard Cosell. I've got Colin Cosell on my line right now. Colin, thanks so much for making time to do this today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Alex. So I brought you on because you have a big announcement that fans can actually hear you at the Brooklyn Cyclones. But first, I want to say, or I want to ask, you are a public address announcer, but did you know this would be in your blood, that being at the mic would be in the in your blood because of your grandfather? Or what? Did, did you find there was going to be a parallel, or did you not know? How did this all come about for you? Uh, I mean, I fell in love with the microphone when I was five years old, and I owe that directly to my grandfather. I watched him do a uh, radio spot um, when I... Uh, but I was just a, a, long, a young one, and um, he, uh, he would have our, my, my family, my mom and my siblings and, uh, and my, my aunt and her family out to his beach house out in Long Island each summer, and he had a live line um, in the house to ABC Radio so he could do remote uh, broadcasting there, just his, his little radio spots. So I saw this microphone and, and headphones, and I asked him about it, and uh, he said, you know, you should wake up one morning and, and watch what I do. So I had my grandmother wake me up. It was like 5.30 in the morning, and uh, watched him do his thing. I sat on his lap, put on his headphones, which, of course, were massive on the uh, small noggin of a five-year-old, and uh, did my first ever air check and talked to his producer, Eddie, and I just fell in love with it right then and there, and I said, this is what I need to do with my life. So um, it's a 36-year uh, a you know, work in pro- uh, progress, I'd, I'd say. Um, Colin, I got to ask then, so what were your first words in that air check at five years old? Oh, I have no idea. I have no idea. I I was so enamored with just the witchcraft before me. You know, I didn't understand how any of this worked. Um, you know, I understood how phones work, but uh, this was very, very different. And now, you know, microphones are so accessible, and uh, you, you can, you know, you can get a cheap one uh, and hook it up to your computer and address the world if, if they're willing to listen. So, um, you know, it was a very, very different time, and the technology wasn't near what it, it is now. So it, it was... Uh, it was just kind of crazy to me, you know, um, and I, I really, for the life of me, can't remember what I said, but I just know that I heard my voice come back to me over the headphones and was like, wow, this is awesome. I need to do this. So you, you then obviously went to do this in college and everything. So tell us about that journey as you were going through it. You know, once you knew, how did you start the path and, and continue on it? Well, I mean, I, I was never granted the, uh, um, you know, access to like a, a school radio station, um, obviously that's not even an option in elementary school. At least it certainly wasn't when I was growing up. Um, and it wasn't an option in middle school. And, uh, and my high school was a small private school, so that wasn't an option either. Uh, so I, I realized that I really loved uh, being in front of an audience, that I was a real ham. And so my outlet was theater. And so I did a ton of theater. I did my first show when I was six years old. Um, uh, an elementary school production of Oliver Twist, and I played Oliver, uh, and um, and literally that was the only outlet I had because at that point you didn't have the advent of podcasting and and all the other stuff that I just mentioned. You you know I, I had a little miniature tape recorder that my grandfather gave me, and I used to record over and over and over again just you know commercials or like imitation radio shows or 
um, whatever the case may be, I was constantly talking into that thing. So I really didn't get um, a chance until I was 19 years old and I got um, uh, my first gig in radio uh, for an oldie station out here on Long Island, uh, 92.1 WLNG, the home of 10,000 golden oldies. And uh, there I was 19 years old playing songs I'd never heard before. And it was kind of a crash course in music. And I was on six nights a week from midnight to 530. Um, and so that was like my first real break. Um, and then within the same year, I came home from school uh, to uh, for a homecoming weekend at my high school. And uh, they asked me if I would do the, the PA for the football game. And I was like, sure. Um, and so that was my first taste of doing PA announcing. Mind you, at the time, I was a huge smartass. I mean, I was like, they, the, the refs were throwing flags left and right. I'll never forget that. And I started calling them out on it and kind of poking fun at them. And so um, at halftime, they warned the coach of, uh, of our team uh, that if I continued doing that, the team would get penalized. So oh, Colin, had, we, had, we had a guy play music, you know, something like Three Bottom Mice or something, whatever, and the umps would stop playing that. It's like, come on, dude, have some fun with it, you know? No, they took themselves very seriously, and, you know, whatever. I I obviously was not mature enough to be doing what I was doing anyway, and uh, thank God I grew up because I would not last a second in Major League Baseball or uh, or Minor League Baseball or any of the other um, uh, PA gigs I have. But, um, but yeah, so from there it was just kind of like doing radio, um, a lot of voice work, uh, but I did not – go into broadcasting. I went to school for communications, radio and TV broadcast, and I kind of avoided it because I uh, realized the older I got how big my grandfather was. And I didn't, I did not have the confidence to even attempt to fill those shoes, um, nor did I understand why I was putting that kind of pressure on myself, but I was. Uh, so it wasn't until I was 30 that I finally um, broke into broadcasting and uh, was with a local network here in New York that covered high school sports in the tri-state area called MSG Varsity. And they really let me cut my teeth um, in a, a variety of different outlets, uh, doing sideline, play-by-play, color commentary. Uh, I anchored one of their shows. Uh, I helped produce and write and narrate another show, won three Emmys for them. Um, and then the network uh, really downsized. And by that, I mean yeah. it went from, like, hundreds of employees to, like, five uh, and did strictly online content. And um, and then I, I honestly, I became a bartender and quickly became a bar manager in, in Manhattan. Um, and that's where I had a gentleman who, uh, a couple of years down the line, I would, uh, we struck up a friendship and uh, he was working for the Mets. I sent him a text when I was at a game and said, hey, I'm here. And he's like, hey, um, love to show you around. And it was a chilly day, too. It was gross out. It was misty. And I was like, yeah, get me out of this, this mess. Um, and so he showed me around. He said, listen, we're looking for a new PA announcer. If you can get a demo in my hands, I can get into the right hands, but that's all I can do. Um, and, well, that was and very the rest of history. Let me point out to the, my audience because Alex Anthony was there for many years uh, as, yeah. as, as the Met PA, and then unfortunately, from, I guess, I know the same thing that happened, he was no longer there, and they were looking for someone else. So this is fairly recent, and uh, congrats on that gig. I mean, th- this is... Uh, sort of like a breaking thing still for you because it just is very fresh. Is it, does it still feel fresh a couple of years later? Um, I think I'm now finally comfortable. I mean, this is my fourth season now, so I think now I'm at a point where I know our team so well. I mean, we, you know, I've, I've been to, to weddings and parties and stuff like that with these people, so we, we've forged a friendship that goes beyond just the, the production office and, and the control room and the PA booth. Um, so now it's gotten to a point where I, I do feel at home there, 
But every time I pull up to the ballpark, every time I look at City Fields as I'm driving up and uh, and walking in, it's still it's constantly a pinch me moment because I still can't believe that my voice fills a major league ballpark. Okay, well let me ask you this: What was it like filling in a, an empty major league baseball ballpark last year? I mean, that had to be so weird. Yeah, it was jarring, dude. It was uh, it was not fun. Um, I mean, I I love my job no matter what, and I was so resigned to the fact that there wasn't going to be baseball last year, there weren't going to be any sports at all last year, that I was just thrilled that there was going to be some semblance of a season, that sports were going to be back, um, and that I was going to be working. I mean, you know, my my livelihood is talking to microphones at sporting events, and that was, you know, yanked for me. Luckily, I, I fell into a work-from-home job that I'm still doing today that I absolutely love, but, um, you know, so it, it was it was – I was grateful to be back, but part of what makes my job so much fun is that that synergy that that uh, that I feed off of between myself and the crowd. Because if I announce Jacob Degrom, I know the crowd's going to go nuts, and I feed off of that. And you know, in that moment, you know, I'm, I'm kind of one with the crowd, and it's um, this symbiotic relationship. So to have that yanked away was it was jarring. But you know, I kind of made my peace with it. I'm like, okay, this is this is just temporary. This is not the new normal. Fans will be back, and if I close my eyes and listen to the piped-in sound, it, it did sound, you know, pretty authentic. Our production team did an unbelievable job with that. So, um, you know, it was I was just grateful to be working. I missed the crowd terribly, um, you know, got used to it, but on a very temporary basis. And, uh, and now, even at 20% capacity, I'm just thrilled to have fans in the stands. Oh, my gosh. It is relieving to see at least some semblance of fan. And by July, we'll be all back in there, hopefully. So Ideally. That's the new plan. Uh, I don't know if you want to comment, but Steve Cohen now owns the Mets. I'm not sure if that changes much in the PA side, but it does feel like new energy around this team, doesn't it? Oh, sure. I mean, that's that's going to happen anytime there's a new anything. You know, if you, you make a blockbuster trade or you bring in a new coach or or a new GM or a new owner. So it's you know it's it's a it's a different vibe it's you know one that uh, the fans are really positive about I'm I'm excited about it uh, and it's you know Steve is is a diehard lifelong Mets fan too so you know he wants to win just as bad as everyone else and um, you know his interaction with the fans on on Twitter and the like uh, you know he's been very hands on and um, you know it's just been it's been great to see I mean I'm forever grateful to the Wilpons for uh, giving me my my big break. Uh, in you know in announcing, but um, you know it'll it'll be uh, it's, it'll be fun and interesting to, to see what happens because uh, Steve's got a vision and as a fan he wants to bring a title home. Now, for many who may not know, Colin also does the Riptide, which I believe is indoor lacrosse, if I'm not mistaken. So you do do different sports. What's that like, and is there any adaptations needed? Because I actually did in, in college at Queens baseball, football, volleyball, lacrosse. Uh, you know, basketball, and all of them require a very different, you know, tonation of the voice, don't they? I mean, it's, just, it's all totally different sports. So 100%. How, how do you adjust to each sport, and how many do you do as of right now, or have you done? Um, so as of right now, um, obviously baseball, um, my first professional PA gig was for an, uh, an Ultimate Frisbee team in the uh, Professional Ultimate Frisbee League, the AUDL. Uh, and the New York Empire. And when I was bar managing, um, we had a trivia night, and I would host it. And we had a company that uh, outsourced all of you know the questions and stuff like that. There was kind of a league 
And one of the uh, co-founders of the league came into the bar one night, saw what I did because I would do a roll call of all the people working um, and kind of did it like the Chicago Bulls during the Michael Jordan era. I mean, they still do it today when they play serious by on Parsons. Um, and he loved it and was like, would you come be our PA announcer? So um, that was obviously, that was really cutting my teeth with a, with a professional team. And, uh, you know, when it comes to the Mets, everything is, is scripted and there's just different tones for each thing. Um, you know, if it's a somber announcement or in memoriam, uh, obviously there's going to be a, a certain tone for that. When I'm doing the starting lineups, it's, you know, like get, get hyped, get everyone else hyped. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if we're getting beat up, you know, I still have to announce everyone with some energy, but I take the, the tone and the, the level down a bit. You know, I just break it down by percentages. Um, so, you know, that's, that's pretty cut and dry. You know, you announce the batters, you read some ad copy sometimes, and, um, and then, you know, whatever pre- and post-game things going on. With the Riptide in the NLL, and, yes, they are indoor lacrosse. We play at the Nassau Coliseum. Um, it's a completely different animal. And it's kind of the amalgamation of everything I've done in my career from uh, color to play-by-play to sideline reporting, stand-up comedy, voice work, PA announcing. It's, it's all encompassing there because during those two and a half hours, three hours of the game, I'm constantly talking. It, it's, there's like a little bit of play-by-play and a little bit of color commentary. There's, um, I, I am told, I am strongly encouraged to antagonize the opposition uh, so I can rip on them. I can be funny. I can be a total goofball. Uh, and then, of course, regular PA work, you know, whatever announcements I make, and then every time someone scores or something like that. Uh, but it, it is a completely different animal. Um, you know, and then with, with football, you're kind of you're filling in the blanks as, as you go. At the end of each play, you're doing one thing. You know, you're telling them, you know, who the pass was intended for or if there's a sack for how many, you know, lost yards, who scored a touchdown and then all of the other regular ad copy. And, um, and then basketball is similar in, in, to football in that respect. You know, someone knocks down a bucket, you're saying, you know, two points for so-and-so, uh, and then ad copy. So it varies from sport to sport, but, um, you know, once you're, once you're there and you're in that mindset, it's, you know, it becomes pretty second nature. As someone who also, as I mentioned, the basketball, and maybe you can relate, I still don't think there's anything as cool I mean, everything is cool with this, but when you do a basketball home starting lineup, I mean, the energy there can't be unmatched with any other sport. It is a different animal in and of itself. I mean, I, I would I would argue baseball uh, because you know when we're when I announce that starting lineup, um, whoever's got the hot hand, whoever's the most popular player, um, you know, and if it's Jacob Degrom, like I. Um, did the starting lineups on on um, Wednesday when Degrom was starting, and it was the first time I had announced his name uh, this season, uh, at least in starting lineup capacity. Uh, he and it was, I, you know, I just I went completely over the top. Crowd went nuts. Um, so I think I think in that regard, if you're doing if you've got a home crowd and you're doing a starting lineup, um, if the crowd's not getting amped, then they probably shouldn't have come to begin with. <laughs> You know, I, I think it's kind of cool that you guys, from what I observed in prior years, have this connection with each other. Like, you know, you go, they, they do this in the crowd thing when they throw it to Colin. I mean, I don't even know if Colin Costello has mentioned about the ballpark, but when it is, it, how exciting is that for you, just to hear that your name is, like, ringing through City Field? I mean, it's the fact that my voice is ringing through City Field is, is pretty pretty wild to me. Um mm-hmm. 
you know, because uh, if I I live out Long Island, if I'm heading out up to Connecticut to visit my family, I will uh, more more often than not, more than likely, pass by City Field or have it, you know, in in sight at some point. And to look at a major league ballpark and to know that my voice fills up that ballpark is just uh, it's a it's a feeling that I don't think will ever go away. It's just pure awe. Well, I got to ask you about your grandfather because obviously we're in the 50th anniversary of the Frazier Ali fight, but and your grandfather was so close to Ali. But when you do hear the whole "down goes Frazier" moment, you were on that man's lap as his grandson. I mean, it just it's got to be a different perspective hearing it and knowing your experience with your grandfather. Well, I mean, it was funny for me because you know, as a child, I I never understood what you know, why he was famous, because by the time I was cognizant of, you know, things going on around me, uh, he was retired from Monday Night Football and from boxing and everything. So uh, it wasn't until I got older that I, I started, you know, started to take more and more sense to me. And after he passed away, even, I mean, I had a, a professor in college teach me about my own grandfather in class. And obviously I knew everything, what, you know, he was teaching me, but you know, that was that was a really jarring moment. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's huge. Um, you know, when I hear Down Goes Frazier, it's an iconic call. Um, what I love about it is, you know, there's footage of my grandfather. You know, he announced not just as a broadcaster with strong opinions and an amazing command of the English language, but he did it as a fan. And when he got really amped about something, his hands would start shaking wildly, and he was just, like, I mean, up and uh, just – it was pure electricity exuding from the human being. So – um, you know, it, for me, it's, it's just really cool to uh, have that as, you know, as to have him as my grandfather, um, to carry on that legacy in some capacity. And um, one really cool parallel is my grandfather's first big break was as a beat reporter covering uh, this brand new baseball team called the New York Mets. And 56 years later, um, I had my first big break as a PA announcer for the very same team. And then what? Next year, it'll be their 60th, 70th anniversary now, so I get 60th next year. It's crazy that the time is flying. So that's a pretty interesting parallel. And uh, was your father, was your grandfather a big baseball fan, or what? You know, we know him for boxing and football, but what was his thoughts on baseball and just sports in general? Diehard. He was he was a diehard fan. He was a a diehard Brooklyn Dodgers fan. Um. You know, he, he grew up uh, going to Ebbets. I mean, he grew up in Brooklyn, so, um, you know, and he uh, idolized Jackie Robinson, and they ended up forging a, a very uh, close and dear friendship. Um, you know, he, he was a huge sports fan. And, uh, you know, even in his, his later years, my siblings and I, my brothers specifically, we are all, we're all diehard hockey fans, and we turned him into a New York Rangers fan. You know, we, and uh, he started going to games and really got into it. Uh, we get into the chance and everything, and it was uh, it was it was really cool. But yeah, he was he was a diehard sports fan and loved many many sports. So you were too young for his advice. I mean, you you knew you were at the mic, but was there any story that as you got older, he was able to tell you that you remember that maybe the audience doesn't know? I mean, you know, I, not really because again, I. I didn't fully grasp exactly what he had done or how big he was. And it wasn't because I was sheltered or anything. It was because, you know, I grew up with him as just a doting grandfather. And I didn't see him, you know, doing what he was doing. Um, you know, there, instead I've got, you know, stories of, 
of him just being a, a sports fan. I remember it was uh, Labor Day 1990, gosh, I want to say 91 or 92, and um, I was at his, his summer house out in Long Island, and I was in the pool, and I think everyone else was at the beach, and he was inside watching uh, a ball game. I think the, uh, in fact, I know the Yankees were playing. He was just checking it out, um, and he, he was very, very close friends with George Steinbrenner, so he and he was close friends with Fred Wilpon, for that matter. Uh, so he, you know, he would root for both teams. But that game happened to be on. All of a sudden, he just shouts to me from inside the house. And he's like, "Son, you've got to get in here. You have to see this." And I, I swear to you, I levitated out of the pool. I could not get out of the pool fast enough. Uh, dried off as quickly as I could and ran inside. I said, "What's going on, Pop?" And he goes, "There's a one-armed pitcher for the New York Yankees about to get a no-hitter. You have to see." This. And lo and behold, I sat there on the couch, watched Jim Abbott pitch a, a no-hitter um, with no arm. He was missing, well, half of an arm. Um, and, and I got to interview him actually at my college when he came to visit. And, uh, okay. oh, my gosh, it's just a funny thing you mentioned this. So I was at that game when I was a couple of years old. Uh, my dad took me. And then I got to meet George Steinbrenner, and he had me in his suite for 10 years or more. Or, well, for the 10 years he was – Alive that I had known him from 2010, mm. and then I got the interview with Jim Abbott. So it's just funny how first circle the story feels right now. So that's that's very interesting, and I'm glad I got an impression out of you because his <laughs> voice his voice is iconic. You know, you can't deny that. Yeah, no, and actually, you know, one day I'd love to to meet Jim and tell him that story because it's uh, it's one that's near and dear to my heart. It's kind of a father and son. Uh, father-son moment and, um, you know, just exemplified the, the kind of sports fan he was and also how he championed the underdog. You know, he was always rooting for the underdog and um, and for the minority athletes. So uh, that that was just like the, the perfect encompassment of all of that. And I got to ask you this. You, you go to the mic, you're very excited, not only that your voice is heard, but I, I got to ask, is his spirit in you when you do it? Do you feel like the moon that mic turns on, okay, the spirit of Howard Cosell is in me, uh, not by just name, but by experiences with him because I'm his grandson. Like, how does that correlate? Um, you know, for me, it's um, it's just the 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 honor of being able to you know carry on the the legacy. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I wouldn't say. I mean, I I feel a spiritual connection to him, but I don't you know like I I took such a, a different course in my career to get to where I am now, much much as he did. I mean, he was. You know, he was 38 years old when he left law and decided he wanted to become a sports broadcaster. And I was 38 when I got, you know, my, my job with the Mets. So um, I, I think the only time he really, you know, where the DNA comes shining through and it's completely beyond my control is when I was uh, doing play-by-play. And uh, if if something really exciting happened, it, it just kind of, I don't know how, it just naturally there were, I don't know, there's eerie similarities in to what happened to my voice, uh, and, you know, as, as opposed to my normal broadcasting, especially during hockey. Uh, you know, if there's a big play and all of a sudden it just kind of became more like this and it was completely unintentional. Um, so I guess, I guess there maybe he's, uh, you know, Maybe I need an exorcism. Um, maybe he's, he's in me and taken over. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's really the only time. Otherwise, it's just the, the pride of, of being able to continue this, this legacy. Did dad and mom ever get into sports journalism or not? Not 
did your dad or mom ever get into sports journalism or not? No, no, my uh, my my aunt did. Um, Howard's daughter Hillary and uh, his nephew. Uh, so my second cousin Greg, uh, he is an analyst for uh, NFL Network, ESPN, SiriusXM. You know, and he's um, in fact he's been slammed all week doing stuff for for the draft. Uh, so Greg Greg Cosell is very much involved, but uh, but no, no, uh, Greg and I are, are literally the only ones. Well, thank God, uh, thank God you are continuing, and that you're you're excited to talk about that story. I, I know that sometimes people may want to distance themselves, right? Now, in the sense that they know they went on their own path, but to be connected, you really take pride in that, and I love hearing that in, in your voice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I I love the fact that my my passion was kind of presented to me at age five. Um, you know, I didn't have to go searching for it; it, it just kind of found me. Um, and I love what I do. The fact that I get, I mean, yeah, I could say like, dude, it's awesome. I get paid to watch sports. <laughs> like, okay, that's, that's cool and everything, but no, I get paid to do what I love. Uh, and, um, you know, be it the Mets or when I start with the Cyclones or this fall, I'm, I'll be doing the PA for Stony Brook University for their football and men's and women's basketball. So I'll be a year round PA announcer. Uh, and then in December, the, the National Lacrosse League will, start back up again thank god and so i'll be with the riptide so uh, i just i'm just pumped every time i get to be behind a mic and mm-hmm. hear my voice go through the speakers and um and you know hit the crowd and, and see and hear the crowd react i love it i feed off it my thing right now is that i get to do best page ballpark every year they do an all-star game at duck stadium which i'm sure you're on the island you know that stadium. you've been there buddy harold but uh, Sam usually gets to rent out, and they hire me as their PA. It rips, it rips through the whole thing. I'm like, is this really happening? So I can feel that. Yeah, I no, feel it's, that pretty, it's pretty awesome. I mean, uh, you know, the first ballpark my voice ever, uh, you know, went through was in the same league. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I grew up in Connecticut, uh, the Bridgeport Bluefish. And when I was with the New York Empire with the AUDL, uh, they had a game at the Bluefish Stadium, which is now being converted into an amphitheater. Um, but uh, that was the first time my voice ever echoed through a, a stadium. And, yeah, man, it, it never gets old. It never will get old. And I want to keep doing this until I get too old. Did you ever do Rockland? i got to ask you that because that's another stadium I happen to be at, the Rockland Boulder Stadium. I don't know if you ever I, I did not. I've only been to the, the Bridgeport and, uh, and the LA Ducks. Uh, Very Blue, cool. Yeah, Bluefish and, and the Ducks. So there's a couple more things. Firstly, I feel like everybody's wording and everything is sort of under scrutiny. Do you feel like that applies to PA? I mean, not that he was having a while, but do you feel like there is sort of this pressure to always to not veer, not goof off, or it? You know what I mean? Because sometimes the cancel culture is going after everybody now. So do you think that's going to hit the PA box at all? The press, the public address booth at all, or you know? Um, certainly not with the Mets. I mean, everything I say, as I, you know, as I mentioned, is, is very carefully scripted. And, um, you know, I think I've ad-libbed, uh, I don't know, a handful of times and it's been extenuating circumstances and it's sure. been, um, you know, not, not one where I can like flash my personality per se. Um, if that were to happen with that thing, it would be with the New York Riptide because I do have carte blanche with what I'm able to say and do, but, I'm very um, socially aware of uh, the parameters which you can you must stay between in order to make sure you're not eviscerated the public. Um, but then again, 
what I'm doing with the Riptide is basically, you know, just ripping the other team apart, uh, trying to get the crowd amped, doing a little bit of play-by-play, injecting some humor in there. And I know to, you know, not swear, obviously, um, you know, not make it political because that's hot button. Um, and, you know, not say anything that's going to be just off color or, you know, offensive to someone because, you know, A, I don't, I don't want to offend anyone. I want to entertain people. If I wanted to offend people, I would still do stand-up comedy and be that, that brain of comedian. But I'm not, I don't. And so I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about it. And if someone, you know, look, you always run the risk of pissing someone off, but like, I'm not going to live that fear because that's not the era I grew up I with. Say, and, but do you think, do you think in general, anybody who has behind the mic will start living in that fear or do you think people are still going to live and be themselves? That's, I guess, is my main question. I mean, listen, I think around the workplace, you have to be much more guarded with what you say and do. Um, but when, you know, when you're on the mic, look, I, I say what I say into the microphone when I'm at City Field or anywhere. And as soon as that microphone's off, I'm a total goofball. I'm a 41-year-old child. Like I, I, and I take pride in that. I know exactly who I am and what I am. Um, so, you know, it's – but when, when it comes to doing a read or doing my job, I'm extraordinarily professional uh, because I love my job and I, I sure. worship it. I, I want it to be there always. But as soon as the mic's off, I'm just like, it's no old bar, dude. Like I'm, I'm a disaster. <laughs> That that's that is fun to hear because I feel like I'm the same way, just chaos a little bit. But that's okay. I, I like being a bit chaotic. Um, and, but on that same point, though, it sounds like you're saying don't be afraid to get into media. I I, I don't know. I just feel like everything is being so amplifying, but we shouldn't be afraid of it. We should just keep living our lives and go into media if you want to go to media, right? Like this, this should, no one should be dissuaded from doing what they they want to do as a path. No. No, listen, if you've got a passion, go after it. And look, the pen has swung way, way, way to one side now. And that means eventually it's going to have to swing back. You know, a pendulum doesn't just get stuck. Um, and So, you know, it, it will swing back, and the country will redevelop a sense of humor. I, I have to believe that. I um, hope so. Yeah, no kidding. Um, you know, it because it's getting to the point where it's like, okay, if you you keep canceling things that offend you or something that, you know, you disagree with, eventually there's going to be nothing left. And, you know, you're going to be, uh, A, you're going to be a social pariah for, you know, ruining everyone else's fun. And, B, you're going to be bored because there's nothing else to do. So eventually the pendulum's going to have to swing back. You know, so, no, don't be dissuaded by anything. Be true to yourself. Find your audience. If someone doesn't like you, tell them, you know what, turn the dial. Don't don't listen. Go somewhere exactly. else. Hey, you know, I also want to ask you because we're still you're still very young at this. Obviously, you're only 41, and there are kids coming up the ranks still, and they might feel pressure and everything like that. But what is your message to the youth that want to get into this business? Be a good person and be true to yourself. You know, do not don't let someone else tell you who or what to be. Um, you know, obviously, every organization, every company, corporation, whatever it is. Uh, they have their rules and their guidelines. Abide by them, obviously. You don't want to get fired. But, you know, just be be yourself, but be a good person. You know, if you're going to be a schmuck to someone, it's, you're not going to make it very far. You know, there's very few schmucks that make it, and the only reason they do is either because of nepotism or uh, because they're just too good to be denied. But otherwise, a lot of people out there are, you know, passable broadcasters or announcers. Um, you know, they're they're good. They're not, you know, like, mind-blowing. 
but they've been good people, and that's recognized and that's rewarded. And you know, that's that's it. Just be true to yourself, and 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 you know, don't and just yeah, just don't be a jerk. <laughs> that's exactly. Uh, well, I, I'm so glad that I got to bring you on call, and I got to ask you this though: Can you come back maybe at the All Star break? Tell us what the first half. If you have any first half memories from the booth at City Field or even Brooklyn for that matter, we'd love to bring you on at the All Star break. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'll be um, pretty much uh, announcing almost seven days a week, but uh, All-Star break will probably be some downtime. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's talk then. And, uh, by the way, one of my idols is Bob Shepard. And the fact that I share a birthday with him, I feel like that was sort of a predestined track to public address announcing. So, I don't know if you have any thoughts on Bob or not. Or I mean, he's Bob's he's the voice of God. I mean, he's he's the all-time great. And, I use him as the industry standard for, you know, how I want to do this. I want to do this for the rest of my life until I'm too tired to do it or don't have a voice anymore. And Bob Shepard is literally the only member of the Yankees organization that I can bring up to Mets fans when they they respectfully nod and say, yeah, okay, I'm cool with that. You know, when I tell them I want to be the Bob Shepard of the New York Mets booth, they, they understand that. They get that. They respect it. And that just speaks volumes about the the kind of person and and the legacy left and impact left by uh, by Bob Shepard. I know the public address uh, impersonations is a talent show thing, but that was one of my gigs. I did it uh, sixth grade. I impersonated the Yankees Mets lineup as read by Bob Shepard. So I mean, he's you know he's one of those very imitatable voices. I mean, um, you know, I, I have a coworker who is a lifelong diehard Mets fan and. For no reason whatsoever, no reason. Like, there's no context, no prior context, nothing. He just always uh, come in into the production office and he'll just go, "No, budding," and I'm like, "Why?" Like, <laughs> I don't doubt that. That's not like that's the wrong organization, but you know, it's just it's you know, he, he just had that voice where it's like you know, everyone immediately gravitates to Derek Jeter, you know, because exactly. You know, and it was so soft and yet booming. And, like, it, it's just, it blows my mind what, what that man did and for how long he did it. And, um, and the stories they hear about him are, are equally as cool. So, I mean, just, he's he's an icon, he's a god, he's a legend, and he's uh, someone that, uh, whose career I hope to uh, replicate, if not parallel. Spending with him in that broadcast, in that booth was just special. My dad and I were there watching him at work. It was like, wow. Yeah. So, uh, Unbelievable. Well, Colin, thanks for spending time with me on Alex Garrett Podcast again. Definitely would love to have you back as the season moves forward here. Sounds good, Alex. I appreciate it. And I'm Alex Garrett, where we're always adapting. Talk to you soon.